All right, A, I still don't know what a run loop is. B, I, well, let's start the show. I don't have a great idea what a run loop is either, but <laughs> I feel like it's, I mean, if you're starting like a program that's going to have, you know, have multiple threads and actually be doing things, then you're, you start off basically with some sort of loop that like handles inputs and sort of distributes them to threads, right? And right. I don't really understand how that plays along with GCDQs. And that's like, the thing. Because you, it's obviously just a big while loop, right? But right. then how does the while loop know to like DQ blocks off the main thread and only let them execute until it's time to refresh the screen and then do that stuff? And like, how does it know? Well, and I think maybe there's the idea of the main queue and the main run loop is these days largely like DQing things from the main queue and running them. And it doesn't know to like stop when it's time to redraw the screen because your main, like your blocks on the main queue can block redrawing the screen, right? So um, you think it's just constantly pulling blocks off the main queue and everything is going through that? That's I think all it partially. Does. And it also it does things like if you, um, are doing things with reachability or the network, you register handlers in the main run loop. And I think that right. the run loop like knows how to deal with other sorts of ways to manage concurrent sort of execution, right? Or right. manage different threads, manage different like events. Like in some ways, it's almost like Node has like a big, has like a loop that it's constantly going through and like events come in. And I think that a run loop in an iOS app is kind of analogous to that in some ways. Right, yeah, because I think like, that's right. But the thing is, like, no, that's all abstracted away from you. Yeah, definitely, and um, it mostly is in iOS too, right? Um, right, right. But then there's times when you like you have to like change the scroll update, like a scroll view update parameter. It's like, hey, what on the run view? Where on the run loop should I update this? Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, and like yeah. I, I know that there are like network things that play with the run loop and. Um, I, I'm a little bit fuzzy on how this all works under the hood because I feel like a lot of it, like, actually does tie in with GCD. Like somehow GCD interoperates with some of the like lower level stuff. That yeah, it's got to be really important. Yeah, it anyway. that GCD. I would wager that GCD is pretty important. Yeah, not for not in Swift uh, six or seven. <laughs> yeah. So welcome to Fatal Error. Uh, I'm Chris. Uh, and I'm Sarush. Today, we thought we would talk a little bit about um, reflecting on Swift uh, through the lens of maybe writing a new Objective-C app, which you may recall that Sarush did somewhat recently. Uh, before we start that, I want to give a shout out, of course, to uh, all of you, our supporters on Patreon. You um, are making it possible for us to do the show without advertising. You're paying for editing and, and production costs, and uh, we we really do appreciate it. For sure. And not only are you paying for editing and production costs, you are also paying for Chris and his new microphone that he's recording on. That's right. I have a, a new microphone. It's an Audio-Technica ATR2500, I think. And so far, it sounds pretty... I think it sounds pretty good. Yeah, I'm, I'm very happy with the microphones that we got. We got matching mics now. Uh -huh. Great. Adorable. Um, cool. Uh, yeah, I just want to echo what Chris said. We say this all the time. We really love you, Patreon people. Um, you make this podcast possible in the most serious of ways. I don't know if I have the energy to do ads and chase that down every um, every week, and I would I think I would just feel bad doing it. Um, and so I really like that y'all like what we do enough to just directly support us and make it so that we can make this podcast without having to worry about uh, how we're going to pay for editing and how we're going to pay for for sounding good and stuff like that. 
Absolutely. So thank you so much. So on that note, Sarush, you recently worked on a new app that was written in Objective-C for, for various reasons. And we had one or two episodes about this where I think we focused on the fact that you were rewriting your promises library in Objective-C uh, so that you could use it in this app, right? That's right. That's right. And that has been working out pretty well. Um, I've been pretty happy with the way that the promise library is shaken out. Um, I don't like the lack of type safety. I don't like how many brackets there are, but there's nothing to be done about those two things. You mean you don't like lap- lack of type safety and the uh, prevalence of brackets in the promises library specifically? The like the way that you have to write it in Objective-C. And like um, the number of brackets that show up in chaining method yeah, calls. Yeah, so yeah. if you chain like four or five thens together, you're going to end up with a bunch of brackets on the front end. Yeah, that's that's super not ideal. Yeah. Um, lack of type safety, you mean sort of lack of generics, basically, right? Everything's in ID. Yeah, and, and it's even worse than that because sometimes there are generics, but you can't say... Um, okay, so so the promise is actually can be marked as generic. It's a very, very light touch of it. Can it's it like a really? type hint. Yeah. It can. I there think are those lightweight generics too. only applied to collection types. Am I no, that? you can you can use them for your own types. The Whoa. problem is that you can't describe anything more interesting than that. So like what the um the then method in some cases will map a promise of type T to a promise of type U, but you can't describe that in the the type signature of the thing. Right, the like obje- lightweight generics pretty much like attach a single type as an annotation, right? Exactly, exactly. And you can't do anything more advanced than that. So if you, let's say, have a promise of type and a string that you're kind of mapping the constants of into a promise of type UI image, um, and then you want to return a UI image, the type system doesn't know enough to like make all that work. And so you just end up returning a regular promise with no generic specialization. And um, you just kind of throw that that uh that that type information is just gone gone with the wind that's unfortunate um how much so having actually used this promises library in an application how much of a hindrance is that versus writing this in swift uh i mean if we want to take sort of a maybe not critical but like really think about what what swift has given us versus objective c like how how big of a pain is this for you i think this is one of the smaller things Oh, really? um, yeah, I, I think it's, it's a little bit annoying, but for the most part, you don't have to think about it too much. It doesn't get in the way. Okay. Whereas other rough edges of objective C are like, like I see them and I'm like, it does not have to be this difficult. I've seen a brighter future and it could be better than this. So let's dive into some of those rough edges. Maybe, um, what, what has struck you? It's, it's like things that I see, like I see, okay, well, there's a singleton, which I think is actually maybe gone now. I think I finally fractured it out. Um, searching for dispatch once. No, we still have an image cache, which is global. Okay. Stuff like the singleton, you gotta make the dispatch token and then you call it a dispatch once method with the dispatch token and then blah, blah, blah. And it's like, it doesn't have to be this complicated. Like Swift lets you do this in one line and it's kind of an anti pattern, but still when you need it, you need it and you want it to be simple when you want it. Yeah. So it's like obviously that's a small one, but it's like thing after thing after thing that's like that. So like when you're doing the dance between uh primitives and NS numbers. Hmm. And you're just oh, like Oh, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, and you're like okay, well, something's going to be int, something's going to be NS integer, something's going to be NS U integer, and other things to be NS number. And which one do I really really want to use here? And it's 
kind of annoying. It's kind of a pain in the butt. Yeah, I uh, I had pretty much blocked that out of my memory. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's bad. And then like, um, uh, so like I have a couple of model classes here. It's really simple. I think it's like three nested models. Uh, but when I store those things as JSON or pull them out of JSON, I have to do this dance back and forth to the um, kind of wrapped uh, NS number type and then back out to the regular value. And it's like, well, if you want to mutate it or work with it, like add two numbers together, you got to pull it out. And if you want to store it somewhere, you got to, you know, put it back mm-hmm. into the lower container. Uh, and that's kind of annoying. I think it's worth calling out too that that's annoying. It's maybe not hard, but it's annoying. It's tedious. And those sort of tedious things are error prone right? You're like repeatedly taking these values and doing things with them, and then you have to repackage them in the correct NS number type. And, uh, well, I guess NS number... NS number fuzzes all that stuff for you, but... Yeah. You have to pull them out of NS number is the correct type, though, right? Right, right. Yeah. And and there's a little bit of checking it'll do for you, but not everything. And, like, if you assign the thing wrong, you'll get an integer that represents, like, a pointer value of the thing. Yeah. (laughs) That is not what you want. No, very much not. And... And then, like, on top of that, there's... Um, okay, so when you pull something out of a dictionary, you get it as out as an ID type. Um, you can't Also, you can't put nil in, into collections. It's really annoying. So then you're putting NS null in there, and then when you pull it out, then you've got to, like, kind of cast it. Oh, and then yeah. there's no, like, as question mark cast in Objective-C, which I didn't really miss that much when I was only writing Objective-C, but now that I know I could do something like that, I ended up adding a method to NS object called as class or nil, and then I will pass it a class and tell it what class I want it to be. That's a neat thing to add. And uh, I'll throw in a, like, we'll add a link to the show notes here to a couple macros that I have for Objective-C, which add um, similar things uh, that aren't hanging on NS object as well. Yeah. Wherever you decide to put that code, it's just actually pretty useful. And it's kind of nice that Swift just has them built in. You know, it's not like Swift doesn't have its rough edges, but it's just... And, and then like, okay, so I needed to map something. Um, and it's like, okay, well, what am I going to do? Uh, am I going to use key value coding, which is stringly typed, where you know how you can write like, you know, my array value for key path, and then you pass it a string of the property name, and it will return to you an array mm-hmm. of all of those child properties. Yeah. So you could do that. That would work, but it's stringly typed, and it's like, might not work, might work, who knows? Mm-hmm. Um, and then, so it's like, well, okay, I'll write a map function. The map function is also not going to be type safe, really. Like it's a little better than being um, stringly typed, but not by much because you don't know what type you're getting out. You're just getting IDs out, and it's like it's like thing after thing after thing like that, and it just it's, gets. It's tiresome. not great. Yeah. yeah, it's really not, and it really makes me miss Swift. So so far, we know that generics are really useful. Having number types that are like built into the language or standard library instead of being like weird, uh, having a weird primitive versus reference type number dichotomy is, is, is a nice thing to have. We know that being able to like do the as question mark thing is really nice. And a lot of, so a lot of good things about types, having an actual type system to work with in generics. Having real optionals is great. Um, Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. true. Optionals make such one. a yeah, and it's 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 all of that stuff. Yes, but it's also like Objective C, and I've complained about this in other environments too. I think on this podcast, but like Objective C, especially in its later years, didn't feel designed. It felt very much like a bunch of stuff was 
piled on and glommed on into this like mutant aberration of a language. Hmm. And the parts of it, the core of it was beautiful. Like I think the parts of it that worked together and the parts of it that were designed in those very early days was really, really, really nice. So like, you know, the the way that nil works in Objective C just works beautifully with the rest of the language. Like if you get nil out of let's say a dictionary and you call int value on it, you just get zero. And it's like that is kind of um it's kind of implicit behavior, but it's also just kind of does make some sense and it all kind of just works together nicely. Yeah. Um whereas, you know, once they started adding more and more of these features, things started to get weird, I think. And then I think it also started to get like notably worse once Swift was really in full force. Like starting from 2010 on, they didn't really do anything with the language. And so that was four or five years of just stagnancy for the language. And I think there are things they could have tightened up. And I think like if Swift hadn't happened, like maybe Objective C 3.0 could have happened and it could have sanded off some of these rough edges. But as it is, Objective C is like this mutant thing that this mutant workhorse that's carrying all this weight. And, um, and it's doing a good job, but it's like can be frustrating to work with on a lot of levels. I I totally get that, and I think you and I have had this conversation before. I'm not quite as down on like the later years of Objective C as I think you are. I mean, it's true that the not there weren't that many big changes to the language over the last um, you know past 2010, but. I mean, a certain amount of what what you describe as like stagnation in the for the programming language, like you could also see as effectively stability, right? And uh, that's something that we don't have in Swift, and that is really kind of like it makes writing code in Swift a little bit more painful. Yeah, that's definitely fair, and it's nice that like I I did open up a really old Objective C project, one from like five years ago today, and it and just kind of worked. Actually, just compiled right. <laughs> it was just everything was fine. It was really great. Yeah, funny um, how that works. My my only other piece of feedback is that like I I understand what you're saying and where you're coming from, but also let's remember that like Objective C is strictly a superset of C, and therefore some rough edges can't be sanded off. Right. Like that's right. That's. I, I think it's important to keep that in mind, unfortunate though it is. Yeah, and I mean, I basically think like that's some of the worst parts of Objective C when they. Yeah, I don't the, want to the, get too off topic, but like when they said Objective C without the C, that sounded really appealing. Yeah, as it turns out, most of the or a lot of the sharp, the really sharp edges in Objective C are from the C part. Right, and it's like, and it's because of the C interop part. And if they yeah. could, you could, if they could have made it such that you could say, okay, this is an Objective C class with no C interop. Right. Then you could get rid of a lot of things. It'd be really nice. Yeah, absolutely. So, and, and I think that, so, so kind of to go back to the, the fact of, you know, Objective C kind of not making much sense in its later years, that starkly contrasts with the way that Swift does make sense and does work together. And for all the consternation on Swift evolution or whatever, I think that the Swift team is really good about making a language that's, kind of is cohesive and to your point about you know swift is in flux i to my eyes that's like a trade-off basically you can either have something that is immutable and you can is basically an add only design spec where you can only add stuff to it or right. you can have something that's designed to work well with itself yeah and, absolutely swift is know, i mean swift it has been and is and and should remain like through the evolution process like 
internally consistent and very considered and very designed. And I, I think that's generally a good thing. Uh, although it, it will be nice, you know, seven years from now when the language is, is stable and you can open a Swift project that's a couple years old and just compile it. Yeah, definitely. But I mean, I think that just the price that we pay for that is uh, a few years of source instability here in the early days. Yeah, and I mean, that's, that's basically right. Kind of unfortunate, but it is what it is. Yeah, it's it's like a trade-off that you get to decide. If you want the language that's fast to work with, stable, reliable, uh, but you know doesn't necessarily have that consistency, Objective-C exists, and that is a choice that you can make today. But if you want the cohesion, if you want the consistency, if you want the nice, the language that works well together and the language that feels designed, then the trade-off of that is that it's going to be changing over time. Yeah. Yeah. And like, like it's not a, it's not even a theoretical, like I wish they could just make Swift not change anymore. It's like, if you want that, that is Objective-C and that is the trade-off that you would have to make. And everybody I work with, you know, almost all of them have been like, all right, well, we'll, we'll pay the price of working with Swift rather than paying the price of working with Objective-C. Yeah. Um, one really interesting thing I want to point to that's like, you know, the kind of like the Objective-C way to do stuff versus the Swift way to do stuff. It's like a really technical, specific thing, but I do want to bring it up because I think it's interesting everything that we would use list comprehensions for in Swift, not everything, but a lot of the things you can, you can implement with key value coding and it's really terse and actually kind of nice. Okay. Um, so two examples I want to point out. Um, I have a situation here where I have, uh, a set of form groups and each form group has a bunch of form elements in it. And then, so like those form elements each have an expected height uh, kind of like an intrinsic content height. And then those form elements form a form group, which then also adds up all of its um, constituent expected heights to make its own expected height and so on. And then you have a bunch of form groups and that's the thing that you're after. And so with key value coding, so in um, in Swift, the way you would write this, you, was, you, was, you, know, you would say, I have my form groups, so self.form groups, uh, map into my expected heights and then reduce into zero with the plus operator. And that would like sum all the expected heights together. Uh, it, would, it would first map to the expected heights and then sum them all together. Does that make sense? I think so, yeah. Right, so you have this uh, object, you have an array of objects that has an expected height, map to the expected height, and then sum those together with the reduce. That works great in Swift, but that is really tough to do in Objective-C because mm-hmm. reduce is weird. Um, you you would have to like transfer this ID object around for your accumulator, so you're all constantly wrapping and unwrapping your NS number. It's really weird, but the the key value coding for this is uh, in it's a string, which kind of sucks, but also gives you this really terse expression. You just do at sum dot expected height, and that does all of it. Huh. It does the summing automatically, and it does the mapping to the expected height automatically. That totally and it makes just sense. works. It's wild. And it's like, it, there's no way to test it without running it. Like, you know, when you have your types, when you get your types right in Swift, like when it compiles, you're pretty sure you got it right. But here there's no compiling, so it could just be wrong and crash at runtime. But when you do get it right, it's extremely terse, um, which is really nice. Yeah, So absolutely. that was a cool one. And then the other cool one was, I have a situation where I have 
uh, a bunch of photo sections, and each of those photo sections have arrays. Okay. So um, I basically want to make one big array of all the photos. So in Swift, I would do a flat map. So I would say like self.photosections.flatmap, dollar sign zero dot photos. And that would make a big array of all my photos, right? Mm-hmm. In Objective-C, you can do value for key path. And again, stringly typed, uh, no type safety, really bad. But it's just at union of arrays dot photos. And that's it. Nice. Yeah. And it's pretty cool. So it does like the map and the flatten for you. Um, uh-huh. in this like pretty interesting and I like played around with like I have a version of you know the block based map in this project because it's really useful and I was yeah. like okay should I write block based flat map I was like well uh, it's actually kind of complicated and the type safety makes this pretty tough and I'm really not going to be happy with the result no matter what mm-hmm. so why don't I just like use the tools in Objective-C like let Objective-C be Objective-C right and use this native objective view feature and then end up with actually like a very terse expression that gets me exactly what I want. That's pretty good. Yeah. I guess that's something to keep in mind is that these problems like are not totally new to Swift. We did have some tools for solving some of these things in objective C. Right. Uh, flawed did, as they were. Right. Right. Flawed though they, 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 they might have been like there, there are tools for a lot of these and in some cases they're, they actually work out quite nicely. Yeah. And actually, now that I think about it, I bet when you do at union of arrays, it doesn't actually create a giant array. It probably creates an NS array subclass class cluster that knows where to go to find the original photo. So it actually still stores an array of arrays under the hood. But depending on what index you ask for, it will like go to the right subarray and the right element within that subarray as an added optimization in the same way that if you call dot joined in Swift, you'll mm-hmm. get a join sequence. And that has that like preserves laziness and it does these extra things that so you never have to think about it. Um, and mm-hmm. I bet under the hood, this is doing the same thing. And I bet if I like, like called, you know, dot class on this, I would figure out that like, hey, this is not actually just a bare NS array. You got like There's an actually NS union array or something. Something like that. Yeah, totally. That totally makes sense. I do wonder how feasible that is given that any of those NS array subclasses that you hand in might also be mutable. But I guess if you were careful with the implementation of the like union array type, that wouldn't yeah. be an issue. It would it would have to copy the each subarray, but the thing is that if it's and if it's already immutable, then copy just returns self. It doesn't need to actually make a copy. Well, so it would have that optimization built in. It wouldn't necessarily even have the copy, right? It would just at the time that you are asking for an like it wouldn't have to cache information like the length of either the subarrays or of the uh, subarrays. But if any of them are mutable, then those would be able to change from underneath it. And there's no like I don't think there's any kind of is uniquely referenced type thing in Objective C. Yeah, yeah. So I think yeah, and call and copy like does exactly what you want. If it's already immutable, it does nothing. And if it is mutable, that's then true. It yeah, I guess own. that's exactly. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I still think that the like mutable subclass thing is is such a horrible. Um, yeah, it was it's, a nice it's hack. Not good. It's a nice hack. I would. It wasn't say. even a nice hack. <laughs> it was a bad hack. It, it's a bad hack because. The uh, immutable subclass of some, of you know, of some immutable class, like immutability, is a property that the class provides that 
providing that that immutable subclass like breaks it takes away that property yeah and there are cases where you can use an immutable type that you cannot use a mutable type right and so that has to be baked into whoever's using the potentially mutable type to call copy it's on them to call copy right and that violates the um uh, wait, which principle is that the like Liskov, so, yeah Liskov substitution principle and that that's not good that that's Which, using that's using object oriented programming poorly. Yeah, I think I agree with that. Um, I don't have well. So so one one answer I have for this is you can either bake that in in the like implementation of whatever is like in the writing of the code, right? So you know that if you're going to be writing something like this NS union array thing, then you're going to need to know to copy all the subarrays. Um, or you can bake it into the language itself. And it's like, in some sense, like the, again, trade-offs, whatever. Um, but like, there is a cost of baking it into the language itself. And it's like, well, we talked about it. It makes the language more complicated, more keywords, more things to know about. But at some point, that knowledge does have to be baked in somewhere. Right, yeah. And I mean, there are just, there are problems with doing it in, in the way that Objective-C has done it. Yeah, like, you got to know to call copy and you have to defensively call copy almost anywhere you use an array for like mo- for many common tasks. Yeah, that's fair. And it doesn't create a deep copy, which is, you know, in some yeah. cases it wouldn't even work. Like core data relies on you not being able to copy the thing. Well, and this isn't, um, I mean, that's not a problem unique to what Objective-C, right? If you, you caught like copy right. an array of, uh, of reference types in, um, in Swift, you're going to like, that's not a deep copy either. Yeah, that's fair, but like, I feel like if you have reference type, you're really explicitly saying, like, "Hey, I, when this, if you create a new reference, it's like I expect them to be the same, like pointer in the same instance." So this brings us to a question: Like, what have you have you run into any cases in this Objective C application where you want value types but don't have them because everything is a reference type? Yes. Um, that photo section, I definitely want it to be a value type. Um, I have a concept of metadata and, um, every photo has metadata. And then when I, when I change any property on the metadata, I want that metadata to turn into JSON and save itself to wherever it needs to save itself. Usually disk, sometimes network. And like, if that were a value type, I could abuse the did set thing where if you change any property on a value type, it will call the did set on its owner. And when you call did set, then I could do one behavior there and say, hey, if the metadata changes at all, I want you to save this or, or execute some code, basically. Okay. So that's a really good example of when I would want to struct. There was something else, too, that happened recently where I was like, this is like, this is 100% a struct. Um, there's one situation where um, I want enums. I want really rich enums. I have this concept of a gallery, right, for the photo sections, and then I have these gallery modes, and then some of them allow multi-select, some of them allow single-select, some of them allow normal, like, tapping behavior. Yeah. And so, depending on the, like, state of how everything's displayed changes in the view controller, the state of um, the tab bar buttons that are enabled changes, the ones that are invisible changes, and if I could bake that all into the enum, Every, and I've had to, I started with two cases. Well, I started with zero cases, obviously. Then I went to two. 
and then when I've now at four and like each time anywhere it's used, I have to remember like, okay, I got to go check there to see if I have to add an extra case to my like if statement, like if it's this case or this case or this case. And it's like, if that was all yeah. baked into the type, it would be so much better. Yeah. I forgot to ask about this until now, but like Swift's enums are so much better than, They're object, so good. than, than C enums. It's uh, yeah. 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 I've I've been writing uh quite a lot of Python over the last couple of weeks and there've been several cases where I want even even a basic enum like would be good but like having swift style enums would be incredible but instead I just have like a class with some constants defined on it and this is uh just how how we do things. <laughs> That's right. So in objective C when I have to do stuff like that I do like doing the template method pattern where you have one abstract superclass and then for your like enum type, and then you have subclasses for each of the enum cases. And then any associated data goes in those subclasses. Yeah, but that's so, I mean, that that's so that's heavyweight. How it's done. I mean, there's no, it is heavyweight and it's really hard to maintain, but it works. Uh, yeah, that's true. That's yeah. true. One other situation like enums that we haven't talked about yet is uh, protocols with default implementations. Um, and this is a feature that like we use in Swift and I think we almost take for granted, but like those do not exist in Objective-C. And so the, the, the issue here is that like, I have this concept of a report and the report can either be a draft. It can be in, in its kind of upload state, or it can be in like its finalized report state, which is immutable. But in a, any of these reports, they all always will have, uh, a, um, an array of images. And so sometimes I want to be able to generate a like a string that like represents like hey there's four images in this thing and there's a couple ways to do that right one way is to uh put it at the call site so the view controller would have that code in it and say well hey i know there's an array here i'm going to grab the array and, and make that code i don't love that one option is to duplicate everything and put it everywhere um obviously that's not great because if it ever changes which it has changed uh, or if it was localized all that stuff You'd have to change it multiple places. And then the last, uh, the, what we would do in Swift is we would do, it would, each one of these report states would be like they would conform to a protocol and the protocol would have this, um, computed property on it that would like figure out how to like build this string for you. Mm -hmm. So, uh, and then there's other ones too. So there's like date formatting, um, there's date interval formatting. There's a bunch of stuff. So what I ended up doing was I, Basically, and I actually did not know what to call it, so I called it a view model. And it's actually the first thing I've ever made that I've called a view model, <laughs> um, which is really funny. Uh, but it's basically a report view model, and it's a, we would call it a decorator, I think, in Objective-C, where basically it takes one of these report objects, whether it's a draft or an upload or a finalized report, and it wraps it, and then it gives you all this extra behavior, and it gives you access to all the you know properties that are built in to that report. So it will give you access to the array of photos, but it will also give you access to the, you know, photo count string. So that was basically like, I would have loved to do that protocols with uh, associated, or sorry, protocols with default implementations. But because you can't, I had to do this like wrapping thing where I have to re-implement everything I want to have access to. Yeah. Um, yeah. So. Did you consider any kind of crazy metaprogramming runtime trickery? I did a little bit but i i don't feel confident enough in my metaprogramming like maybe i would have two years ago 
But right now, it just seemed like more work and yeah. not that much benefit. It's like 10 properties. I just wrote, yeah. I forwarded all those methods over to the... I, I think you're you're probably right. I'm just curious. Like, yeah. if you really wanted to do something like, you know, something like this in Objective-C, that would be the way to do it, right? Right. Very dry. Very don't repeat yourself. Yeah. yeah. Um, might not. I mean, yeah. Runtime.h is... Uh, <laughs> Maybe not the best thing to import, right? But uh, I wonder if I do import it anywhere. <laughs> it was imported. Uh, the person that I uh, adopted this project from was using associated types to associate a model object to a cell. Oh, which what? I did not like, especially because the cell was just a subclass that right we own. Can that like we could just add, add properties add a property to a to subclass. It. Yeah, it like was weird. I. I, I was not one to shy away from using associated objects in Rejective C, but that <laughs> is not the right time to use one. Yeah. Mm. So now I think there's no reference to runtime.h, so I think that's aces. There was one time where I forget the details, but I had like there was a table view involved in like propagating different events from cells and I think yeah, there, I, I had involved the responder chain and associated objects on UI event somehow. Damn. Yeah. You can do some crazy shit. I always thought that... Yeah, yeah, you can. Um, I, I always thought that the responder chain was like an interesting concept that is just basically not used in objective in uh, in iOS the same way that I feel like it is in OS X. I think that's right. Um, and that like maybe it's useful and iOS should have like used it in some ways. Uh, yeah. But... Uh, this is what, this do. is a Patreon, so I can I can I can tell secrets on this. Oh no! Um, I have I, a, I don't think that's how it works, but I'm <laughs> sure. Uh, I have a blog post idea for um, basically what if all of your coordinators were view view controller subclasses. Uh, and I'm definitely not the first person to suggest this. Uh, I want to give a shout out to Dave DeLong, who's been pushing this idea. But if that were the case, then you could actually pass events up to your coordinators via the responder chain. And so I want to play with that. So um, look out for that post sometime in 2019. I think that's that's really interesting. I mean, the responder chain seems like a way to pass events through like up, up in the application through like a relatively clear, I'm not going to say perfectly clear because there is some weird complexity there, but through like a fairly clear conceptual chain and like it's, yeah, used, I think you know, it's mostly clear. like maybe it's maybe it could be useful in ios too since like ios apps are are, are not trivial like right pa- part of what makes it tough is i don't think that you can um you can't uh inject your own objects into the responder chain as far as i can tell which is a little bit annoying i thought there was some really hacky way to do that but you're right there's no there's no good way to do it right like i th- mm, yeah there, yeah. I, there, there's something you can do if you really want to do that, but it's not ideal. I feel like it's a linked list and you should just be able to say like the element that I'm interested in now points to me and then I'm going to point into the element, that element's parent or whatever. Yeah. And it should just work, but it doesn't work that way. I don't what, think. Why yeah. do you think in, I mean, we're coming up on 11 years of writing iOS apps. Um, if not in like, you know, the public Apple's been doing it. Why do you think the responder chain is so like minimized on on iOS versus OS ten? I think it's a single window thing. You think? I think yeah. I think in the Mac you could have you had like several technologies we use. One 
responder chain to Mm -hmm. bindings where, and then like, you know, and, and again, this is one of the situations where like they, they kind of built something that really worked nicely with itself. And then when it came to iOS, just like didn't make any sense. But like Uh, maybe even more than, even more than the responder chain bindings would be useful in iOS, like writing code that like binds your UI to like your, your data model is the most boring part of like, it's, it's just mind numbing. So, but it's extremely important in, in, um, in Mac programming, because you're going to have two windows, two windows that point to the same entity or resource. Yeah. And you just never have that in objective in, in iOS. It just never happens. Yeah, I guess that's true. Weird, maybe a weird case in a, in an iPad app, but like, or if you have like an external display, doesn't that come up as an, as an extra window or can you do, do I think that? It does, as an extra yeah. But, but yeah, yeah, you're, you're, you're right. Yeah. But like I can count the number of apps I, know of that use an external window in a good way on one hand like i i can't even think of one offhand i think panic status board keynote um, oh yeah isn't status board no longer a thing that might be right r.i.p status board pour out some whiskey i'm out of whiskey i'll get some after we finish recording <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah those are those are some of my thoughts about what it's like to write objective c and what i miss about swift I think it's funny too because I was such a hardcore anti-Swift. Like I wrote this big blog post about how I would never write Swift. Oh, I kind of remember this. Yeah, yeah. You're and now I'm just like, please, circle. I would love to write some Swift some more. <laughs> oh, how the tables have turned. That's right. Yeah, I don't know. I'll put that post in the show. So I think it's called like why I don't write Swift. Yeah, and then I six months later. <laughs> That's such yeah. a Sarouche blog post title. It really is, and it did not age well. <laughs> and I like I have another post where I was like. It's called like reflections on six months of Swift. Um, and I was like, man, this wasn't even like, uh, this it was, was a not year that in... long ago. Oh, it was two years ago. Oh, is it? Oh, whoa. Yeah, you're right. Wow. Okay, never mind. So, like, basically a year later, I wrote another post that was like, all right, I was wrong about Swift. Uh, <laughs> well, it was like, I was right about Swift in that it has these problems, but I was wrong about Swift in that it's fucking fun to write. True. Really nice to write in. True and, story. Yeah. So, but yeah, I miss Swift. Um, I'm lucky that I get to write Swift for most of the stuff that I do. And Yay. this project is the only Objective-C thing I work on. I, yeah. I'm I'm not writing really Swift or Objective-C right now, but it's okay. I get, I'm learning other languages. It's fun. Yeah. We're going to have to talk more about that soon. Some Rust, yeah, some Python. We should. I've done at this point uh, a good amount of Python, uh, a bit of Go, Really, not not any rust so far to speak of. So we'll have to wait longer on that, but we'll get there. Get it, get it together, Chris. Come on, we got a podcast to record. You can't just be <laughs> not writing rust at your day job. This is ridiculous. I'm um, doing my best. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Chris. It was great to talk to you. Uh, yeah, you too. As I'll, I'll talk to you next week. Um, as always, thank you so much for listening, and thanks for your support.